Please continue standing for the reading of today's New Testament lesson from the book of Philippians, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you, constantly praying with joy in every one of my prayers for all of you because of your sharing in the gospel from the first day until now. I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to think this way about all of you because you hold me in your heart, for all of you share in God's grace with me both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I long for all of you with the compassion of Jesus Christ. And this is my prayer, that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight to help you to determine what is best, so that in the day of Christ you may be pure and blameless having produced the harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Angela, for reading our lesson uh, this morning. It's so good to be with you on what we're calling this All Saints Sunday. Uh, those of you who know the church calendar may be thinking we seem to be a little delayed. Uh, All Saints was actually last Sunday, and we delayed it uh, because Sherry and I knew that we were going to be away last weekend, and we really wanted to be with you, especially on this All Saints celebration. Uh, we were actually on, in Paris on All Saints uh, celebrating there on a, on a tour that we were doing that we had originally planned to do with Michael Williams, who was a pastor at West End. Uh, and Michael passed away last year, as you know, and we followed through with the trip. And something unexpected happened on that trip. I think we have a picture maybe of that. This is our daughter uh, on, on this side. Uh, our future son-in-law is on the left. And on the top of the boat on Wednesday evening, he proposed to her, and she said, yes, I wouldn't have taken him. <laughs> I might not have taken him if I had known he was going to do that. Uh, actually, we, uh, we approved of that in July. We saw the ring in September, and she's wearing it today. And uh, so we had a celebration that night, and the next night we had a budget meeting. And it's going to happen on All Saints weekend next year, October 31st. Um, I will give her away and then perform the ceremony, and we are very, very, very thankful. And especially thankful to be with you on this day. I wouldn't want to miss this day with you all. Thank you for the beautiful music. How appropriate the Lord is my shepherd to this day. You might agree with me if I said that one of the greatest blessings of our affiliation together as the church is the fellowship. It's the relationships that we form over time through a common confession, 
Jesus is Lord through a common mission, through a common task. In fact, I would tell you that the closest friends in the world that I have are those with whom I partner in some mission, whether it's in the Middle East or South Africa or in South Nashville, those with whom we partner and share in the work of the kingdom in some work of, of grace. Uh, I was interviewing some of our confirmands last week. Uh, some of you know that next week we'll be celebrating Confirmation Sunday. There'll be 101 sixth graders who will stand before us and make their profession of faith. And one of the things that we always enjoy just prior to that weekend is the clergy get to interview all of these students. And so I, I interviewed uh, eight or 10 of them last week and we talked about theology. We talked about the Trinity, Father, Son, Spirit. We talked about sin and grace and salvation. We talked about worship and the sacraments. We talked about discipleship. And then I asked them what I always ask them at the end of the interview, what did you enjoy the most about the confirmation experience. And consistently, they said three things. Number one, snacks. <laughs> number two, serving in mission. And number three, being with friends. Isn't that interesting? Small groups hanging out together. I think if we could interview the Apostle Paul this morning, about his experience in ministry that he just might say the same thing. I, you know he would talk about his encounter with Jesus, with the living Christ, that vision on the Damascus road, his call to ministry. Of course, that would be first. And then he would probably talk about his preaching. He would talk about his teaching. I'm sure he would talk about his hardships, what he suffered for the sake of Christ, and probably some of his jail time stories. But above all, I think the Apostle Paul would talk about the friends that he made along the journey, co-workers, partners in the work of the kingdom. I was talking with a retired minister friend the other day, and I asked him, uh, what's been the greatest blessing for you in your 40-plus years of ministry? And he said, that's easy. It's the people. And I said, what's the greatest challenge in 40 plus years? He said, that's easy, the people. And I was reminded of a college football coach. I think it was the Coach Howard at Clemson. For, after 30 years, he retired from coaching. And when asked why he was quitting, he said, for health reasons. And the reporter said, can you be more specific? And he said, yes, the team got sick of me. <laughs> well, it's true that our greatest blessings and our greatest challenges can be the same. But for Paul, the greatest joy, the greatest blessing in ministry was the people. And you see it right from the get-go in this text Angela read for us. In the signature section, Paul refers to his friends as saints. I love that word. In the Hebrew, it is kadesh. In the Greek, it is hagios. It means literally holy. It means to be set apart. It means that you are different from the world, that you are peculiar. Verse 1 begins, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi and the bishops and deacons. Now, it's a little humorous that Paul almost seems to differentiate the bishops from the saints. I don't know if you picked up on that, and I'm not going there this morning. 
But to call them saints is to remind them and us of our calling. It's to remind us of our primary identity, our vocation, our baptism as sons and daughters of God. One of my favorite hymns, in fact, we're going to sing it at the conclusion of this service after the names, was written by Fred Pratt Green called Rejoice in God's Saints, and it begins with this lyric, Rejoice in God's Saints today and all days, a world without saints forgets how to praise. Boy, is that ever true. A world without spiritual heroes forgets how to praise, but a world with spiritual heroes remembers not only how to worship and praise, but remembers those things that are worthy of praise the saints. It's interesting that in the next section, verses 3 through 11, after, after the signature section, we, we have what's called the thanksgiving section. In fact, it is common, it's typical in first century Greco-Roman letters. They always begin with their signature, not at the end, but at the beginning, and then they address those to whom they're writing, and then there's a thanksgiving section. And if you study closely the Pauline epistles, you'll find that every single letter in the New Testament has a thanksgiving section except for one letter. You know which one that is? It's the letter to the Galatians. When you read that letter, apparently there was such toxicity in Galatia that Paul found little to be thankful for. The leadership there had apparently become so legalistic in their dogma that many of the Gentile converts were being pushed out, and so Paul neglects, he deletes the thanksgiving section, and he goes directly from signature to troubleshooting. And Paul, as you know, never pulls any punches. It's an interesting letter that has no thanksgiving. But in Philippi, there's much to be thankful for. In fact, listen to the opening words in that section, verse 3. I thank my God every time I remember you, constantly praying with joy in my prayers for all of you because of your partnership. One text says because of your sharing, your suffering in the gospel from the first day until now. And then when you read the rest of the four chapters, it reads more like a thank you letter than it does a treatise. In verse 7, Paul mentions the context of his writing. He tells us where he is. He's incarcerated. He's in a prison cell, likely in Rome. He's on death row. He's awaiting the verdict at any moment that will lead to his execution, his beheading. And I don't know this from personal experience, but I'm guessing that one of the perks of doing time is having time to reflect and to remember. Haven't you discovered that memory is vital to faith? That's why the Old Testament says, remember your creator in the days of your youth. That's why the Old Testament says, remember the rock from which you were hewn. That's why at the table when we gather as we did last weekend, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. 
This is why the disciples believed in the resurrection when the angel reminded them what he had said. (laughs) Memory is vital to faith. And what do you suppose he remembered about Philippi? Well, it's in Acts 16. Don't you remember? Don't you know that that Paul remembered when he was in Troas, he had a vision of God. There was a man from Macedonia. The leading city of Macedonia was Philippi. Come over and help us. And he did. The gospel was first extended into Europe because of that vision, and Paul remembered that. He went into Philippi down by the riverbank where there was a woman leading prayers named Lydia. She was a fashion designer. And there was a handful of women that started a church there. And she came under the instruction of Paul, the apostle, the gospel. Don't you know that Paul remembered that Lydia's house served as the parsonage for Paul and Silas, the headquarters for the movement of the gospel? Don't you know that he remembered that day that he healed a fortune teller, a soothsayer, a slave girl of an unclean spirit, and when he healed her, They were roughed up by her owners who had lost their profit because of the healing, and they found themselves in a Philippian jail, and during the night, they were singing and praying, and all of a sudden, their chains fell off. And even in his imprisonment, God used his chains because there was a Philippian jailer and his whole family who were converted to Christ. Memory. And now there he sits in chains in Rome awaiting the verdict when all of a sudden a care package is delivered to him from Philippi. And they didn't just mail it, they delivered it in person. You remember the man who did it, Epaphroditus. He delivered it. And then Paul writes the letter to say thank you. Thank you. There are many, and I'm one of them, who believe that this church may have been Paul's favorite. Though he was only there 18 months, he was in Ephesus three years, 18 months in Philippi. And I know, look, I know this, that pastors, we aren't supposed to have our favorites, but we do. Now and then someone will say, in all your years of service, the churches you've served, which is your favorite? And I always say the same thing, the one that I'm currently serving That's my favorite. It's like when you ask me, which is your favorite book in the Bible? It's the one I'm studying at the time. But the truth is, we all have our favorites. You have your favorite pastors, and pastors have our favorite churches. I've noticed it says a great deal about a church when a former pastor who has served there comes back in retirement to affiliate, and you have those pastors, and you have those bishops. I remember in one of our churches in Atlanta that there was a retired pastor from Mississippi and his wife, uh, and they affiliated with us, and they came to join the church one Sunday, and this poor woman, since she was 20 years old, had, had been dragged from church to church all over Mississippi, and they came to join the church, and she leaned over and said to me, I want you to know that this is the first church I've ever joined by choice. <laughs> the rest of the time, it was because she was with him. We all have our favorites. In fact, 
I don't know this, but I'm, I'm guessing that if Paul had been released in Rome, if he'd been acquitted, if he had lived to a ripe old age, I think he might have come back and retired in Philippi, a place and a people that he dearly loved. Now, having said that, let me be clear, Philippi was not a bed of roses. The church in Philippi, like all churches, has its issues. In fact, we know what the issues were. If you read the letter, there was a couple of lay leaders who got sideways with each other, two women. Paul calls them out in chapter 4. In fact, he names names, Euodia and Sintash. They didn't get along. They didn't see eye to eye. We're not sure what the problem is. There are some commentaries who say both of them sponsored house churches and they were competing for members. Some say that they got in a theological squabble and they were entangled and they couldn't see eye to eye. But Paul doesn't tell us because he isn't interested in the details of the conflict. He's more concerned about the attitude of the opponents. In fact, listen to his counsel in chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. I urge Euodia and Sintash to be of the same attitude in Christ. Help these women to come together, for they have struggled beside me in the work of the gospel, and their names are written in the book of life. Isn't that interesting? Paul is urging the people in the church to help their leaders come together <laughs> to mend fences. Why? Because Paul knows that internal disunity in a body can actually hinder the witness of the church. And so it's not uniformity of thought that Paul is looking for. It's unity of spirit. It's unity of mission. It's unity of confession and heart. And haven't you seen this, that when the trust is there, when the weak you between leaders is strong, the mission and witness remains laser-focused and vibrant. I remember something Philip Gully once said, the great Quaker theologian and pastor from Danville, Indiana. He said, good behavior is as important as right belief. And he's right. Relational strength is absolutely key to the enduring witness of the body. In short, it's about the people. It's about us. So Philippi is not without her issues, but she remains a community of joy, Paul's favorite, and so he writes to say thank you and to remind them of his gratitude for their partnership in the mission. And this is what I love about Paul. He's good with names, not just in conflict, but in joy. Lydia, Euodia, Sintish, Clement, Silas, Timothy, Epaphroditus. He remembers the names, these yoke fellows, these, these co-workers and partners in the gospel through whom the light of Christ continues to shine. It's about the people. I heard Malcolm Gladwell speak at Belmont recently, and he said this, and I agree, genius is always a group effort. 
And so it is in the genius of Jesus in the body of Christ. Let me finish with this. Two weeks ago, this very day, Sherry and I were in Normandy, France. Many of you know this is the 75th anniversary of D-Day, tomorrow's Veterans Day. D-Day, June the 6th, a day after what had been planned because of the weather, if you know history, 1944, American troops, along with our allies, stormed the beaches of western France and began to reverse the aggression of the Third Reich that was taking Europe. And we walked through this cemetery. This is the American cemetery. It was filled with white crosses, as you can see. Some of you have been there. And on the front of the crosses, each one had a name, a date, and a place of origin. We found some crosses from Tennessee and some from Georgia. All the crosses were pointed west towards home. We walked along the path, and Sherry and I, without saying anything about it, we just started reading out loud these names of these boys, young soldiers, average age 23, who had the weight of the world on their shoulders and gave all that they had. One of our tour guides, whose name was Natalie, told us that her grandfather had been a leader in the French resistance. She said, Granddaddy survived the war but never forgot the sacrifice of those boys. In fact, she said, my grandfather told me before he died, whenever you give a tour to a group of Americans, I want you always to remember to say two things to them. I want you to say welcome home and thanks again. So we finished the tour, we shook her hand, we got on the bus, and she looked up at us and she said, welcome home, and thanks again. This morning, we have the distinct honor of remembering names. Names of loved ones who have partnered with us in the most important mission that the world has ever known the gospel mission. Everybody needs the good news of Jesus. And today we remember the names, the faces of those who have gone before us. And I think that they have heard a similar voice. I think they have heard the voice of our Heavenly Father say to them, welcome home. And when we call their names, that's our way of saying, Thanks again. Today, of all days, it's about the people. A cloud of witnesses, a world without saints forgets how to praise, but a world with saints remembers, and the memory continues to inspire and instruct us in the way of Christ. May it be so this day as we remember the names.